Assalamu alaikum, brothers and sisters. This is T3M. Welcome back to the Realist Podcast in the Dunya, featuring another Realist Podcast in the Dunya. Dawa, man. We got brother Emran here. Brother, how are you doing? I'm very good, Akhiman. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to the audience and you guys. Well, I'm doing very good. Pleasure to be here with you guys. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. All right, bro. So, Rami Fayed, why don't you guys go in on what we're going to say here, what we're going to be talking about, because my mind has gone completely blank. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, bro, the first thing on my mind is, I don't know, man, this is just something I've always wondered. And if I ever spoke to Imran, this was the first thing that I would ask. So, bismillah. What made you want to start Nesia Sessions? Mm. So, bro, you know what it is? I mentioned this story a few times in a summarized way. So, basically, um, when I started practicing the Dean, obviously, I came up from a lifestyle of music. Um, I was, you know, hanging around with the guys on the streets. It's not like I was gang-banging or anything like that, but, you know, the music lifestyle brings a certain kind of crowd, a certain kind of, you know, companionship. So that's, that's the background that I was coming from. So when I started to practice and come towards the dean, um, you know, my, it, when, when I used to do music, I used to kind of have this very conscious style of music where it was more about waking people up, sending out a positive message. Um, and that's just kind of how I've always been. I've always wanted to kind of have an impact, and, you know, on, on, on people towards something that is going to be, be beneficial for them. So obviously when I came to the Dean and I realized that the Dean is the most beneficial thing, I naturally wanted to share that with people. I wanted people to have that same element of the Dean. Um, so I volunteered to help out uh, with a youth program in my masjid. And as I'm volunteering at this youth program, I'm seeing that the kids that are coming in are the kids that uh, are already, you know, in the madrasa. You know, they're already kids that are memorizing Quran. They, we're, we're, we're preaching to the converted. But I wanted to reach out to people that came from the lifestyle where I came out from because I know there was guys on the blocks that are taking drugs, selling drugs, shooting people up, stabbing people up, getting stabbed, getting shot. There's girls that are fornicating, guys that are fornicating, drinking, clubbing, raving. And that exists in a Muslim community. But those guys are not in the masjid. So um, I sat with the brothers and I said, listen, I have an idea. I said, we need to go into the club and get down so I was like, there, there, there was a local club and it was it used to be like popping from that angle. And uh, I was like, let's go. And uh, let's, let's, let's go inside and give that one to the people. So one of the brothers, he because he, uh, the imam of the masjid was there with us. He said, I want you to just imagine the imam <laughs> in the club <laughs> calling all these girls and guys to the masjid. Uh, I said, yeah, you know what? I actually felt like that was actually what I did. And of course, later on I learned that of course, when you're when you're giving that way, you don't give that in the way where you put your own iman because going to a club, you know, you're gonna end up having that or given to yourself. So you know, you can't you can't uh, like two wrongs don't make a right. So obviously, I realized that was a terrible idea. But the, but that concept and that thought of wanting to be able to reach out to these people um, who are not coming to the masjid, who are not seeing the posters for the events, I've, I always wanted that was always in my mind. But two years later, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He gave me. The idea, he uh, gave me the tawfiq to come up with the idea of setting up a YouTube channel. A YouTube channel where, well, actually, it was even before YouTube. I was actually on using Facebook primarily um, because I saw that Facebook was a platform 
where I could be in touch with the drug dealers and I could be in touch with the fornicators and the fornicatresses and, and the, the guys in the clubs and the raves. That's one place where we do all communic- commu- uh, like come, come together without actually having to be in their presence. So what I had to do was put out content where the, in, in, in the title is, re- is relative to them. So when someone's searching something about a club night, I'm going to pop up. When someone's searching something about drugs, this, that, prison, I'm going to pop up. And that's what happened. So it was primarily over Facebook. And alhamdulillah, I got really big. And then uh, then the YouTube channel followed right after that. So that's really how the Nasir Session project came about. It was a project where, you know, we're able to reach out to people that are furthest away from the deen. And they're going through serious social problems. But they find that the solution to those social problems is in Tawheed, it's in La ilaha illallah, it's in connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the messengers. So that's really how it came about. Alhamdulillah, man. Let me, let me just say uh, my apologies. I, I didn't say Nasiya sessions, I said Dawah, man. So uh, I just want to correct myself. But yeah. No, 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 it's cool, it's cool. But they're kind of synonymous. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right, all right. Rami, bro, Rami, what's on your mind? Bro, you muted. Yeah, my laptop like glitched out a little bit. But uh, subhanAllah, what's on my mind is still this guy was <laughs> giving dawah in a nightclub. SubhanAllah. <laughs> uh, this might, must have been like really early on then, mashallah. Yeah. We, we, no, we didn't actually go into the nightclub. We just oh, had okay. the idea to. Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Okay, okay. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Yeah, that would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been funny. SubhanAllah, bro. SubhanAllah. So um, when, when did you start to make the transition to YouTube? And when did you really start to see, you know, your channel um, getting more popular and getting more traction and reaching more people? Mm. No, my channel, my channel, alhamdulillah, got, got traction really from day one. It got, it got traction from day one, alhamdulillah, because... Um, because um, no one was doing this. There's very few projects that were that were from that were from the from the Muslim community that were reaching out to the youth, and all of them were doing really well. For example, Rotec Islam. I'm not sure if you've heard of that channel. Uh, the brother Abu Bakr Islam, who runs a charity in Gambia right now, he used to he started off giving da'wah to the kids in the streets and doing interviews with all these guys that converted from serious gangs and drug backgrounds, and, and he, so his channel it picked off straight away. And there was there was maybe about two or three at the time. So mine was unique in that it was dealing with these social problems that are to these people, people really didn't want to talk about them. So straight away, it popped off. Like I remember I'd be getting 50 to 100,000 views per video. That was my first channel. But then what happened is it got, it got taken down. Uh, some atheist guy complained, some, you know, something happened. So I made a video about this atheist guy called Richard Dawkins. Then basically I got another channel. Uh, and then I had to build that up again. And that channel got even bigger. Uh, and same way, you know, the views was coming, 50,000, 100,000 views per video. But then that channel got taken down as well. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, it was uh, a back and forth with some other viewers. We kind of give them advice some issues about their managers. Basically, our channel was shut down, basically. Uh, then this now is my third YouTube channel. Um, and alhamdulillah, you know, it's still popping and everything or whatever have you. But the issue is that, you know, when you run a third YouTube channel, uh, it's just, it's like the same, the same traction from the audiences in there, because this is the third channel. Number two, uh, I feel like, you know, YouTube is shadow banned me a lot because I've, I'm actually, I'm actually really not afraid to say what it is and say it directly, just what I'm saying. So from that angle, 
like alhamdulillah it's, it's always been like as in the youth have always been feeling uh, this da'wah I guess you know there's always going to be that the the antagonism there's always going to be people that are not really feeling it but it's just you know what it is as they say real recognized real so when you're when you're speaking to these kids you speak to these youngsters these boys these girls they have these problems they actually want to get out of this mess they don't enjoy doing what they're doing they know the heart yearns to have a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they wish that they could you know what I'm saying like even the fitrah the prophet Ali said that Allah is a you know he placed something in everyone's heart Hatta even the kafir to know when he is straying and that something is wrong. For example, the Prophet said, that evil is that which feels uncomfortable in the chest. Does that make sense? Like when you want to do something, like a man came to Prophet and he asked him, What is good, what is bad? The Prophet said, He said, Ask your heart. Ask your heart. What does he mean by that? Is that sometimes, you know, you, you know, sometimes we look for a fatwa. Is this halal? Is this haram? And uh, it's like, but you were, you're only asking because you feel uncomfortable about it. Like people ask about shisha, smoking shisha. Like, is it halal to smoke shisha? The fact that you're asking is indicating that there's something un- uncomfortable about it. Like, would you say bismillah before you smoke shisha? Would you, would you say bismillah before you start listening to a track? Because we're supposed to say bismillah before we do things, right? Uh, generally, the rule is do bis- say bismillah before you do things. So you can have the barakah uh, of the name of Allah in the actions and the things that you do. So we don't say it when we come to certain things because we know that it's something uncomfortable about it. You know what I'm so everyone has that in them. I know it's all these guys. He could be the most craziest drug dealer. It could be a guy who stabbed people up. It could be a guy who's in jail for murder. They have this in them. Even the non-Muslims have it in them. That's why, for example, when they've done some studies to see why is it that when a child lies for the first time, his heart starts to pace fast, his palms get sweaty, his voice gets croaky. They said it's because the human being wasn't programmed to lie. What they don't understand, obviously, they're going to try and identify this in the most naturalistic way possible because their whole worldview is very naturalistic. Um, but we, we understand that's, that's, that's that mechanism that Allah gave inside us to understand what's right and wrong. So all of these kids, all of these guys, they have it in them. Some of them, it's just, it's buried under layers of sin and darkness. So the Prophet Ali told us that every time someone does a sin, there's a black dot that gets placed on their heart. So they're so black that the heart's covered in filth and then they can't tell the difference between right and wrong. So what you need to do is you need to be able to help them, un, you know, you need to be Allah to help find that, that filth in the heart, clean it so that they, so they, so, so that can reactivate. You know, I, I used to uh, give da'wah to non-Muslims on the da'wah tables. Sometimes non-Muslims will come up to me and they would just say, I don't know why my heart just brought me like to you. Like as in, like, there's something that brought me here that I have to speak to you. I was just walking by and I, just, I didn't want to, you know, I thought, you know, let me, let me ask you, what's the purpose of life? I mean, is there really a God? Like, these are things that are, all, that are happening internally inside of people. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's my thing. Like, some people, they try to water the data down because they want to just please the crowd. You see what I'm saying? My thing is, I'd rather be real with you. And I know it's going to be hard for you to accept it. But I know that even though your desires may be working against me, Allah has placed something inside of you that if I can help activate that with Allah's permission, you're going to hear what I'm saying. That's why I find that even at the, the first time someone sees a video of mine, or they see something I say, they feel a bit uncomfortable. It's a bit too raw. It's a bit too, wow, what's he saying? This sounds a bit mad. But then when you listen and you listen, and then you know, ayah after ayah, because we're not pulling it out of our back pockets. No, we're not making this up. It's all what Allah said in the speech of Allah. It appeals to the heart. So the more you hear, the more you hear, the more you're like, oh, wow, wow. This actually makes sense. You see what I'm saying? So from that angle, I always found that the youth have been receptive to the devil. The, the problem that I find, I don't know if you don't want to go into this, but the problem I found in the da'wah has not even really been the youth. 
it's been people in the da'wah. That's the problem, personally. So I don't know if you want to go into that because that can take us into a different direction. But me personally, my biggest animosity or my biggest obstacle and hurdles have come from the people that are in the da'wah. Yeah, I mean, please go into it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say, bro, like, go all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, and so on I, a side note, on a side note, I want to let Rami go before, uh, brother Emron, you get into it. But, but they were gravitated by that beard, man. They saw that beard, they said, Oh, I don't know, but there's something there. That's fine. A lot, I think it's important, you know, especially for us three, uh, if we're going to, you know, be giving dawah in one way, shape, or form. Uh, that we hear about some of the uh, problems we may encounter and some things mm -hmm. to, to look forward to. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, inshallah, bismillah. Okay, beautiful. So basically, um, and sometimes guys, just so you know, I have a tendency to just talk. So feel free to just, because you know, I know it's not a lecture, it's a discussion. You know, I'm not going to feel offended if you pull me up. The floor is yours, brother. Yeah. No, no, because I, I actually want to engage with you guys more than anything, but it's just that, you know, you know when you're always teaching and they put, I'm, I'm sometimes in a day I'm doing three lectures that are for an hour each. So I just, mm, I'm used to talking. Yeah. <laughs> so you okay. can just pull me out. Yes. So, so, so what we have to understand, Akhi, is that the Prophet Ali told us, you know, he, he drew a line in the ground. He drew a line in the ground and he said, this is the path of Allah. Allah is the path of Allah. And then after he drew that straight line, he drew many lines that were deviating from the straight path. And when he drew the lines deviating on the straight path, he said, all of these lines are paths that oppose the path of Allah, and upon each one is a devil. He's giving da'wah. He's calling you. He's saying, come on. He's giving da'wah to deviate off the right path. So then, we know that the devils are of two types. There's the devils that are jinn, and the devils that are humans. And there's humans that call you to evil, and the jinn, they call you to evil. So now we've got human devils, and the Prophet Ali said, use the word, they give da'wah, they are giving da'wah, they're calling you off that path, does that make sense? Because shaitan, he, you know, remember Allah, he said that shaitan, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was going to cast him out of, out of paradise, uh, and he told him to get out, he said, I'm going to wait for them on the right, on the straight path. Then I'm going to come to them from the front, I'm going to come to them from the back, then I'm going to come to him from the right and I'm going to come to him from the left. What does it mean is that, that he's going to come from the right? Some of the scholars, I think Ali radiallahu anhu, one of the Prophet's companions, he said that this means that I'm going to come to them in matters of religion. I'm going to confuse their religion for them. I'm going to make their religion confusing for them. Does that make sense? So these are people who are on their deen. Have you ever wondered how come that you come to the deen? Like I've had guys who are involved in crazy gang violence in the streets and so much groups and gangs. And they're like, bro, there's more gangs in the religion. <laughs> there's more, there's more, obviously you're not killing each other, you're not selling drugs, but there's more like groups and divisions in the religion because there's so much ambiguity because this is one of Shaitan's plans because he, at the end of the day, he wants you to not follow Allah. So either he's going to make you blatantly disobey Allah or he's going to make you think you're following Allah, but really you're not. That's even more dangerous. When you think that I'm actually doing something that's correct, I'm actually pleasing Allah, I'm actually worshipping Allah, Allah doesn't want me to do it, does that make sense? For example, a Christian and a Christian who gives charity and you know turns the other cheek and you know love thy neighbor and you know all these these are good things, but he's doing it for Jesus. He's not doing it for Allah. So all that good he's doing is actually going down the drain. So at the end of the day, he's far away from Allah, and so is the guy on the streets far away from Allah.
But you know, this guy is more dangerous. You know why the Christian? Because he thinks that Allah is actually happy with him. He thinks that this is what God wants. At least the guy is selling drugs, fornicating, sleep around. He knows in his heart, this is wrong. One day I'm going to make Tawbah. And this is what you call bid'ah. You know, in this, in, 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 in amongst the Muslims, there's this concept of bid'ah. The Prophet, alayhi salam, he said, this is the, this, he said, if you live, anyone from amongst you who lives, you're going to see a lot of differences, a lot of disputation. The solution is to follow me and my companions, the Prophet said. And then he told us to stay away from the problem, which would be bid'ah, innovation, which is to make things up that we introduce new things in a religion. So there are 73 sects and 72 of them do bid'ah. They, they are on something else. Does that make sense? Some of the bid'ah reaches kufr, like some of the groups of the Shia, for example. They, 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 they worship their imams. They actually worship them. Does that make sense? Some of the groups of the Sufis, they worship the graves of their saints. So the bid'ah can reach disbelief and some of them it doesn't reach disbelief, but it's what they call bid'ah mufassaka. The point is that there's 72 of them and there's only one path that is guided. There's only one path that says, we're going to do what the Prophet said and what Allah said. And how do we understand what Allah and the Prophet want? The companions. Because the Prophet told us that the group that will be saved is the ones who follow me and they follow my companions. When the companions ask, who is that one saved sect? They said, the ones who follow me and my companions. So this is something that you brothers need to always look out for. That whenever you hear someone talking in a situation of religion where there is a dispute where there is differences of opinion, the question that needs to always pop into your mind is that, what did the companions say about this? Because at the end of the day, every group claims to follow Allah and the Prophet. Every group claims, but they all have different interpretations. How do you know what the correct interpretation is? The companions, because they were there at the time the revelation came down. They were there and the Prophet taught them the meanings. In fact, when the, prophet, when the companions didn't understand something in the Quran, they would ask the Prophet ﷺ, and either he would explain or Allah would send down a verse answering their question for them. So, so you have to follow the Prophet ﷺ and his companions because you can't, you can't know what the Prophet is telling you without the companions. The same way, if I need to know a hadith of the Prophet, I have to have the companion who narrated it. That's why you hear this hadith is narrated by Abu Huraira. This hadith is narrated by Umar. This hadith is narrated by Aisha. Because if the companion is not there, the hadith is weak. We call that a chain that's disconnected. We call that a chain that's disconnected because the companion is missing. So the same way I need the companion for the wording of the hadith, I need the companion for the interpretation as well. So my point is that when you're giving da'wah and you're trying to give that pure Islam, that authentic Islam, the original Islam, you've got about 72 different groups that you're against. You see? So now... When I'm out here trying to give that out to these kids, and I'm trying to bring them at the same time to the authentic Islam. But when I bring them to the authentic Islam, there's seven votes that all want to pull them towards their direction. Do you see? So that's why I find that the biggest problem comes from these guys, because getting the kids into the masjid is not hard. But it's when they're in the masjid, which group do they end up going to join? And some of them end up joining a group that takes them to ISIS, and then they blow themselves up after and I've, and I've had kids that, that received my da'wah and ended up on the front page of newspapers as, 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 as uh, you know, on the wanted list of the, of the British government in Iraq. And then the next day you hear, oh, they got bombed last night. Good kids, but look where they ended up. We, we, kids that were good and now they end up grave worshipping, which is, I mean, that's worse than Christians. Because at least Christians, they do shit by their people of the book, which is still bad. They're still non-Muslims, but, you know, remember, not all the disbelievers 
are of the same level. Like the, the one that's why we're you know we're allowed to eat their meat. You know, like the Christians, for example. But but I'm mm. saying now for you to go become a grave washer, you're not even a person of the book. It's a different religion now. Do you know what I'm saying? So so that's where we we have this confusion amongst the Muslims. And then there's liberal Muslims, then there's extremist Muslims, uh, extremely liberal, extremely overboard. There's the ignorant Muslims. So that's what we find that where the problem is. And, and I'll give you like, and I'll show you practically, and then I'll stop talking because I think I'm, I'm a bit long with this, but. But uh, to show you practically how it directly actually impacts our da'wah, this, this concept. So there's a group called the Asha'ara. There's a group called the Asha'ara. And they're a very, very big group amongst the Muslim community. Does that make sense? And they don't believe, they don't affirm Allah's names and attributes in the way that Ahl sunnah affirm them. For example, when you say Allah loves, Allah's name is Al-Wadud and Allah loves, they say Allah doesn't love. They say, what do you mean Allah loves? It means something else. When you say, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he, he, he becomes happy when a slave makes toba. They're like, what do you mean happy? No. That is in, they reinterpret this to mean other things. They say, they say, if you say Allah loves and Allah becomes happy and Allah laughs, you're comparing Allah to the human beings. We say, no, we're not. They say, Allah said, there's nothing like him. We say, we know there's nothing like him, but Allah told us he is the one or his messenger is the one who told us that he becomes happy when a slave makes toba or that he laughs or that he loves or that he, he, you know, he has this characteristic of mercy or that he has these characteristics. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself or his messenger told us, but what we know is that the way Allah loves is different to how we love and the way he loves is different to how we love. The same way Allah told us he has, he has hands. But now I know that I hand, but my hand's not like Allah's hand. And why is it so hard for you to understand that? The clock, the clock on the wall has a hand. We use the same word because a hand points. A hand is used for pointing. Hand is used for many things. Hand points, hand grabs. Hand is something you do things with. So the reason why they call the, the hand of a clock a hand is because it points. So I have a hand, the clock has a hand because we share a function, which is pointing. But you and I both know that my hand and the clock's hand is not the same. They are two different hands. So when Allah tells me he has a hand, why is it so hard for you to understand his hand is nothing like our hand? You know what I'm saying? So this is just a background. So you understand this, this point that I'm coming to. So now I'm in a masjid and there's an imam giving a khutbah. And he's saying that, you know, we need to stop talking about these issues of Allah's names and his attributes because we've got kids killing each other on the streets. So we need to address these issues. These classical discussions have no effect in our day and age. They have no effect in our day and age. So I said to him, hold up. After the salah, I went to him in a nice way and I said, Sheikh, I work with the kids in the streets and I teach them these issues of aqidah and I find firsthand they actually benefits them. So he looks at me and he says, let me be real with you. He goes, when has a Ash'ari who denies Allah's names and attributes, when have they ever got in the way of your da'wah? I said, wow, let me explain to you, Sheikh. I said, one of Allah's names is Al-Mutakabbir, the honor and the, uh, and the possessor of pride. Like Kibr, which we call arrogance for us, is bad for us. Because how can we think we're great? Arrogance is to, to, not, to, to, be, to, 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 to say and to be better than everyone else. But we're not better than everyone else. We're all the same. But the audience have pride Allah because he actually is better than everyone else. Does that make sense? So we have verses and hadith and ayat that tell us we can't be arrogant. Because only Allah has the right to show his greatness over everyone else. Does that make sense? So this is something unique for Allah. Now this group, the Asha'ira, they don't accept 
for Allah these names, like Al-Mutakabir. They say, no, it means something else. It means this, it means that, it means this, it means that. So I'm like, if you work with the kids on the streets, you know one of the biggest reasons why they kill each other is because of arrogance. It's because of respect. So one of the biggest things that I'm going to do when I see a kid on the street is I'm going to tell him how great Allah is. I'm going to tell him how powerful Allah is. I'm going to tell him about the greatness of Allah and how, you know, all of these things. So he, so he humbles himself. But now if the same guy goes to Ash'ari, he's going to tell him, no, no, all of this is metaphorical. <laughs> it doesn't really apply because, you know what I'm saying? So, so, the, so my, my point is how are you going to, the biggest problem or one of the biggest problems that the kids on the, on the street experience is arrogance. That's why they're killing each other. If I'm supposed to be said, there's three years people end up in hell. Money, as a misappropriation of money or acquiring the money through bad means. Number two, women, i.e., you know, doing, doing mad, haram things to get women. And number three, arrogance, pride, status. You know what I'm saying? So this is one of the primary reasons people end up in hell. But, you, but, but you, if, I, if, if you tell me stop teaching people about aqidah and stop correcting these corrupted beliefs, I mean, these guys are going to listen and they're going to say, oh, so I could be arrogant. So I'm greater than everyone else on the block. I do run the block. No one can test me. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So there's many examples like that. So I, my biggest issue and biggest opposition comes from the Muslim community that claim to be given da'wah. Do you know what I'm saying? So then I guess uh, it goes without saying that experience will be the biggest indicator as to if someone's legit, you know, saying the right da'wah or not. Because um, if, if someone doesn't have the experience and they're just speaking theoretically, they're speaking in, in a way where they're perceiving, ah, well, this will reach the best. This will help the best. But it's like, unless you've had that experience, you won't know 100%. Um, but with that being said, I have a question, bro. Mm -hmm. So you said that uh, a few of the brothers that you were giving dollar to ended up on the newspaper, basically on the wanted list. Like, how does that even happen? Like, what happens to people that they end up going down that route? And like, what what's so attractive about that to them? Fantastic. So just 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 before I go into that, so uh, experience definitely helps. But what's more important than experience is knowledge. Uh, for example, the mm. person is studying the, the correct creed, the correct aqidah, they, they study the deen. Then, for example, they don't make these mistakes. Like, for they, you know, they say a, a wise man uh, learns from the mistakes of others. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others and a fool never learns. So, so instead of, you know, like experience, it necessitates I have to make the mistakes myself. And then eventually I'll get to the right answer. But how many mistakes have I made before? So I could just avoid all of those mistakes by just going and saying, what, what did Allah and his messenger and the scholars before me, what did they say? And then I can avoid all of that. So that, that I find is very helpful. But yeah, so how it happens is it happens exactly how I just 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 just, just mentioned it to you. So there was this kid, uh, may Allah have mercy on him. You know, he, uh, he used to attend my programs. I used to teach some stuff online. Um, but I used to never really teach people like the really the deen. I was just doing a course on how to give that to atheists. So he was attending that course and he was like, he was loving it. You know, he I had his phone number, he's on WhatsApp and we talk, we communicate. He even invited me to his masjid in his local community. And, you know, he, he, he really benefited from my da'wah, he grew and he developed. Now at this time, the whole ISIS situation was going on. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of people were asking, well, what, what, what is your view? What do you think? What's your perception? And uh, I always kept quiet on the issue because I always said to myself, it's not my place. It's not my place. 
And then this kid ended up getting cured because I remained silent. He ended up going there. Allah knows how many people he might have killed and ended up getting killed himself. Do you see? So now I said to myself, how many kids are there that watch my stuff that ended up going? Because I don't know what it was like in the States, but London got hit hard, as in where I'm from in the UK. Some of the best kids, some of the best of the best youngsters who came to the Dean, started practicing the Dean, they ended up joining the Either dead now, or they're in jail. So we lo actually lost a great practicing community. We lost a great practicing community because of that whole fitness. And I decided to remain silent. So for me, it's like, you know, when you give that, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to address issues. And for our own personal, you know, am I going to get cancelled, uh, uh, shut down from attending, uh, from, from being able to come into a particular country or attend a particular university to give my lectures? Like, these are things that hit the du'at. Like, for example, when this whole Palestine thing was going on, a lot of people were attacking certain da'wah personalities for remaining silent. Now, I don't think that every person has to speak about every issue. You may genuinely not have something to say, may not think that your contribution is beneficial. But you know, there are people that are known to always comment on everything. So when, you always, when you're always known to comment on things, and then this is like the kind of thing which is right up your alley and you remain silent, people will wonder why. Like, why have you remained silent? And then it kind of became clear or they kind of worried about them, whether they're going to be able to get into certain countries. Because, because you know, when you speak against the Zionists, the countries where you go give da'wah are very Zionist friendly. So it's like the du'at are always thinking about their own personal, you know, uh, not all the du'at, by the way. There's real ones. I'm talking about the guys that we need to kind of clean the whole, you know, system from. Yeah. There's du'at that are real. You know what I'm saying? But there are those that unfortunately they make the mainstream. The reason they make the mainstream is because they try to please everyone. So I was there, like me, I was also, my thing was like, I don't, I don't I, you know, I don't want to get into this issue. It's not really my thing. But then look how, look how, look how hypocritical that is of me. Because mm. the whole reason I started my channel was to help the Muslim youth, that which was affecting them. So when drugs and alcohol is affecting them, I have a problem too. When they are being poor mass into a terrorist organization, I want to remain quiet because I'm scared of the backlash, because I'm scared it's not really my thing. So that really woke me up. And then I started to address it. And from that day onwards, I realized to myself, I said to myself, um, I need to touch these issues. And the, and the first controversial Islamic issue, remember social issues are not controversial. To provide Islamic solutions for drugs, alcohol, you know, this, that, family problems, everyone's happy, everyone agrees. You know, even Shia are going to agree with me. Even, 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 even the ISIS guys are going to agree. They say, you do a good job, bro. <laughs> Everyone's going to agree. But when there's controversial Islamic issues, for example, issues of, you know, rebellion against the rulers, fighting, jihad. And by the way, we're not saying that, you know, jihad ain't real. I mean, I'm, I, as in we, it is, but what they was doing was not jihad. That's our point. Killing Muslims is not jihad. Does that make sense? Killing Muslims, slaughtering Muslims is not jihad. So, so when I, I told him these issues, for example, Muslims that grave worship, that worship other gods besides Allah, for example, the Muslims that celebrate the birthday of the Prophet Islam as well. Then I realized, oh snap, there's actual problems in the community. So, so, so for me, like, it's sad that a Muslim would go and end up joining ISIS because I remain silent. But what's scarier 
is a Muslim ends up committing shirk because I remain silent. That's even more scarier because, I mean, joining ISIS is a bid'ah, bid which is evil. We're not trying to belittle it. But what's the greatest evil is to worship another God besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's, that, that's, that's how it happens. That there's people putting all of our kids in different directions. And you know what I'm saying? And that's what, a lot, you know what happens to a lot of kids actually? Uh, some kids, they join the deen, they come to the deen, and then they get confused and then they find a group that misleads them, whatever that group may be. But other Muslims, in fact, I mean, say maybe even a lot of them, they come to the deen, they see the fighting, and then they leave. They're like, you know what? <laughs> This is wrong. This is this is this is like being on the streets and then they go back. So that's why it's just the, the really I think where the, the fight is and the biggest problem is is in the Muslim community. I'll give another example. You see this whole Palestine issue. This whole Palestine issue, I'm sure you saw all the protests and the people that were protesting and so on and so forth. Okay. And how many of these people that give that were at the protests? How many sheikhs at the protests were encouraged people to go to the protests? Does that make sense? Now, whether you believe protests permissible or not, I don't want to talk about that. I, I'm of the view that protests are not permissible, but that's a different discussion, right? At the very least, you know that at the protest, if you believe that it's permissible and you're going to tell people to come to the protest, at the end of the day, you know and I know that Allah doesn't give victory to the Muslims when they disobey Allah. Allah was very clear with this. Allah said, corruption spread in the land and the sea because of the sin that we did with our hands. Now, the hadith, uh, the Prophet told us that there will be a time when all of the uh, non-Muslims will gather around the Muslims like they're gathering around uh, a plate of food and they're about to feast on us. And the companion said, is this because we will be weak, uh, 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 low in number? And the Prophet said, no, rather you'll be big in number, but the issue is that you would love, would love, you would love uh, the life and you hate death. I Meaning you follow your desires, you just want to live, you just want to sin, you just want to you, you, you don't have hope for the answer. You don't live for the, for the day of judgment. You, don't, you, you just live for the day. Does that make sense? And there's many narrations. Like the, another narration, the Prophet said that Allah will humiliate this ummah when we sin. And he mentioned some of the sins that we do. And Allah will not uplift the humiliation until we come back to our deen. So I'm saying now, let's just hypothetically assume, for argument's sake, protesting is permissible. And I don't believe this. But let's just say that you believe that. Okay, now you've got all these kids and these people that are coming to the protest. But you know, based on textual evidences, whether protest permissible or not, but you know that Allah doesn't help the Muslims until we come back to worshiping Allah and to leave off our sins. We have to repent from our sins and we have to correct ourselves, and then Allah will fix our state of affairs. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna la Allah doesn't change the state of a people until they change themselves. So you have to teach the Muslims to change themselves. So now you've got all these Muslims that are coming to the protests. But they're playing music and they're freaking. Mm. And the girls are not wearing hijab. And if they are wearing hijab, it's they got tight tights on. And there's music and there's vandalism and there's this and there's that. Now, my question is when when at the Battle of Badr, when Allah gave victory to the to the companions of some over Mushrikeen of Mecca that were that were bigger than them in number, they had better artillery than them, they had more cavalry than them. They were better equipped in every shape form, but Allah gave them victory. Was why did Allah give them that victory? Because the Prophet spent the whole night begging Allah. He's begging Allah, his hands high in the sky. So Allah, you know, he was so read, it was savage. Allah was worshiping Allah. It was, it was absence from sin. In fact, in Surah Al-Fal, which is the surah where Allah talks about the preparing the believers for victory, 
Allah describes the believers. Allah says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجَدْ قُلُوهُمْ وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتٌ زَادَتْهُمْ إِمَانًا وَعَلَى رَبِّهِمْ يَتَوَكَّلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the believers who gain victory over their oppressors, over their enemies. Allah says, they are the ones that when Allah's name is mentioned, their hearts become scared. Wait, Allah. Because when someone says, Wallahi, and then they lie. Like, when you say Allah, the world should stop. Wait, you just said the name of the Lord. And what? what are you saying? That's the characteristic of the believer. And if the verses of Allah are recited, they increase in iman. I mean, you will tell a guy a verse from the Quran and say, I can go tell this to someone else. I don't want to hear it. Then the third thing is, they rely upon Allah. People now rely upon the politicians more they rely upon Allah. They call out to their MPs and their politicians more than they call out to Allah. Protesting is you calling out to your governments. Are you putting the effort in calling out to Allah? Then Allah said they pray and then they give the zakat. Do we pray? Do we know how to pray? Do we give the zakat? Do we know how to give zakat? These are the, these are so interesting because Surah Al-Anfal and you know is actually a surah that's talking about jihad against the, against the Quraysh and the Prophet's battles against them and overcoming them and the, being against the odds. This is exactly the story of Palestine. You know, being overcome by the oppressors and numbers, you know, the odds are stacked against them. These are the ones that Allah is telling you he's going to give victory for them. And the surah is about how to gain victory. But it starts by saying, when Allah's name is mentioned, the heart becomes fearful. When you hear the Quran, your iman increases. You rely on Allah, you pray, and you give zakat. So my point is that when you look at that audience that come into the protest, I mean, what, what is that crowd? What is that audience? Is our audience that is worshipping Allah? I mean, they're clearly sinning publicly. Remember, there's the guy who sins, but he sins in private. He has he, he's in a better place than the one who sings and sings in public. So you've got all these girls coming out with no hijab and makeup and music and guys. And there was actually guys on TikTok that were saying, yo, come to the protest, there's gonna be some girls there. So my point is that as a dad, <laughs> as a dad, as a sheikh, as a member of the community, you must be calling the people to correctness. You must be saying, if you're gonna come to the protest, which you shouldn't in the first place tell them, but if you're gonna come, you must tell them correct these issues. But they won't correct these issues. You know why? Because their concern is not really the people. Their concern seems to be just saying what's going to make them popular. Because, the, I mean, the whole Palestine thing, you were, anyone who was talking about it was getting loads of views. They were getting loads of comments. They, I mean, they, they, some people went up by 100,000 followers, 100,000 subscribers in just that two weeks because it's the thing that everyone's talking about. But the moment you start telling people what really they need to hear, they may not want to hear it, so then your numbers will drop. Does that make sense? So I thought this is criminal. That the Muslims are suffering through a pain because of it, they are suffering and they are they are defeated. And you have the knowledge to tell them how to correct that, but you don't for your own personal, whether it be your creed that is corrupted, whether it be your own personal benefit. But it's it, it's it's just disastrous because when we don't want to be real with the community, we're actually it's, imagine imagine you come to the hospital and you got a bit wound in your head and headache, but the doctor says I'm going to treat headache. And then I'm gonna, and, and the bullet wound, you know, he just kind of maybe doesn't even attend that. He will get sentenced to jail for malpractice. Like the guy came to you with a bullet wound and you gave him aspirin for his headache. What are you doing? So people come to you with bid with shit, with all these problems, and you told him, ah, oh, we need to talk about good manners. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're cheating the people. And that's that's one of the reasons why one of the first people to be punished on the day of judgment, as the Prophet Islam said, even before the idol worshippers, the person who came to be a person of knowledge that was teaching people, but he actually didn't do it for the sake of Allah. He didn't do it for Allah's sake. He, he did it, why? So people could say, oh, he's knowledgeable, he get the followers, he get the money from this, that, whatever have you. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a messed up situation. <laughs> so, with that being said, though, 
because I'm just trying to get in the in the minds of like these people who end up going that route. Like, what actually? And I know this would probably be something vague. This is just theoretical because we we're not in them. You know, we aren't them. We don't have their mindset in that in that predicament. But these people that are going into the whole ISIS movement, like, what is drawing them to it? Like, why are they? Why are they even doing it? Because, like, if you look at Muslims who aren't doing that, um, you ask them, oh, why aren't you doing that? And they'll be like, they could clearly tell you, like, oh, well, it's just extreme. So then what's the difference here? Like, what what is the disconnect? What's what's happening in these people's minds? Mm. Uh, There's many ways to answer it, but the crux of the matter comes down to this, yeah? The same reason why people... I actually believe that what opens the, the door for people to go to join ISIS is actually the liberal Muslims. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And an and ISIS guy will come to you and he'll bring you a verse where Allah subhanahu wa said, you know, it's a verse about jihad and fighting. Yeah. And of course, we know these verses have context. They have context, there's conditions, there's a whole, there's a whole context behind it. So they'll take the verse and they'll say, Allah said, fight. So I'm going to go fight them. I do what Allah tells me to do. Does that make sense? Mm. Now, 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 what's he doing? He's doing what I remember what I said at the beginning. He's not going to the interpretation of the companions. Because the companions use the context of diversity, the time and place. Because in fact, the, you know, this group, ISIS, the, the classic this group is called the Khawarij. And they've existed at the time of the companions. They used to bring these verses to the companions themselves. And they used to clarify, this is not what it means. Does that make sense? So these guys now, what they're doing is that they're bringing a verse that they're interpreting themselves. Does that make sense? So now, the Muslims that don't want to follow the companions, that don't want to follow the Sahaba, they don't want to follow the Salaf, they criticize the ISIS guys. They say, you are taking a verse out of context. So we look back at them, and the ISIS guys look back at them, and they say, don't you do the same thing? We learned this from you. We, le- we actually learned this from you. You know, people believe that a lot of the ISIS supporters came out of the Salafi movement. That's incorrect. Well, the, when I, Salafi means wrong, but the, Salafi, Salafi means the ones who follow the companions, basically. That's all it means. It just, it just, it's just a way to describe that I take my understanding from the Prophet's companions. That's all, right? So, But it's actually not true. They actually came out of the liberal movement, a lot of them. They came from the political Muslims movement and the liberal Muslims movement because the whole concept. Because if if you if you follow if you follow the Salaf, then every time you come to a verse, someone's going to say to you, "Wait, wait, wait! What did the Prophet say about it? What did Abu Bakr say about it? What did Aisha say about the verse? What did Uthman say about the verse?" And then that's it. You've solved your problem because you're picking up from a place where the guy understands that there is a yardstick to measure the meaning of the verse. These guys went buck wild. Because they were nurtured out of a, out of an understanding of the deed, whereas that we can interpret the Quran. However, we can interpret it without the need of the of the salaf, without the need of the prophet's companions. So when I look at these, you know, guys that are very, you know, these political Muslims that are very anti-ISIS, that are very liberal, I'm like, bro, you did this. What you you created ISIS, or you not not, not that you created ISIS, but you created a environment that will be a catalyst for the ideology to grow. Does that make sense? Because the same way they're taking verses out of context, 
you're taking content in the verses from themselves, don't have it in the verses from yourselves. The only way to solve this problem is to come and get the Prophet's companions' interpretations and the Prophet's interpretations of the verses. But that's what happens, you see. So there's many other issues, which is, for example, you know, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding, being coerced, this, that, confused, coming from a background of being anti-establishment anyway, anti-government, anti-police, and then you start practicing and you're going to be, you may have that natural inclination to join this kind of movement. But really, at the end of the day, what they do is that they use the religion to justify whatever it is that they do, right? So the problem comes back down to what is your understanding of the religion? So these guys are guilty of, this, of, the, of the same thing. Of the same thing. That's why, you know, you know, for some of these guys say you have to you must unite with all the different groups and all the different sects. So why don't you want to unite with ISIS? Why don't you want to unite with because they did what makes them different? Bro, they do what you do. It's just that they interpreted the verse and ended up killing someone. You interpreted the verse and ended up telling someone that you know uh, uh mortgage is halal, riba is halal, and mm. you know, you can free mix, and you interpret the verse to say that you know bidah is allowed and you know shit is allowed. And that's actually what. Actually, what should exactly was to help answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that answered it perfectly. And sheesh, bro, I got a question now. It's a little different. I'm gonna restructure. A lot of people that are that are watching, and myself included, I came to you through your videos on, you know, addictions and you know, substances, quitting, you know, porn and all that. So for any any brothers right now, let's say they're suffering with something, right? They're suffering with either porn or zina or alcohol or weed what would you have to say what would, what would be like your golden takeaways the first and foremost thing to understand is when it comes to these vices we will not be able to we need allah's aid to get out of it right? we need allah's aid to get out of it and there's many steps there's many stages there's anything we can say there's practical solutions there's you know, this, that. And the religion gives you practical solutions, lowering your gaze, not being around the kind of companions that would reinforce that kind of, you know, uh, vice and that kind of addiction, and, you know, not free. like these are all practical things that the religion comes with. But there's a foundational element that the religion comes with that we miss, which is the need to ask and beg a lot. And I'll give you an example. The thing of addictions and whatnot, like one of the primary addictions that men suffer from is the addiction of women, whether that be manifested through porn, whether that be manifested through fornication or whatever have you, right? So in the story of Yusuf, Islam, we have a beautiful example where the woman wanted to sleep with him. Khalid Khaytalat, she said, Yusuf, sleep with me. You know what I'm saying? Imagine a beautiful woman comes up to you, locks the door, she locked the door, barricaded it shut, uh, and not just one door, abwab, many doors. It's just her and him. She's a beautiful woman. She's a woman of status. He's a slave in a house. Technically, a slave has to obey the master. So technically, he would even be doing anything wrong by obeying her in terms of the slave-master relationship. Like, no one's going to know. No one's going to see. He's a stranger in the land. It's not like uh, rumors can spread about him in the community. He's in Egypt. He's actually from a different land originally, but he's in Egypt now. This whole situation is set up to make it easy for him to fornicate. Mm. But he realized that there are so many things that are leading me to do the evil. And I'm done for if Allah doesn't help me. So immediately, what does he do? Because we know he runs to the door. We know he runs to the door and then the door flings open. But why did he run to the door? Before he ran to the door, he did something greater. He said, He said, Allah, I seek refuge in you from this. The first thing he did was that he asked for Allah's help. Point one, underline that. That's the first thing he did. 
Then in the next verse you learn that Allah tells you uh, Allah said Allah not saved would have done had Allah not saved he might have fallen into evil this is so profound because we haven't even got into him running away the door opening the we haven't got to the practical stuff yet all we know right now is that he called out Allah his first thought of call was Allah I need help there is a woman in front of me She's asking me, I'm a man at the end of the day. I need you, my Lord. Save me from this evil. Save me from this vice. Save me from this addiction. Save me from this. So Allah tells him, because he reached out to Allah, Allah saved him. And Allah said, There's no one Which means that Allah saved him because he was the person that was sincere. He was worshipping Allah alone. That shows you. That what's going to save you from these problems is that relationship with Allah, right? Of I spend my time worshiping Allah. I spend my time praying. I spend my time connecting with Allah. I don't worship gods besides him. I purify my intentions. I fight to make sure that, you know, I don't place anyone equal to Allah. I don't love anyone more than I love Allah. I hope I'm not any other than Allah. My fears from anyone else, the fears that I'm just pleasing Allah or punishment. Like my life is focused and oriented around Allah. So the first thing is that we learn that Yusuf is very, very orientated in regards to worshiping Allah and calling out to Allah and relying upon Allah. And Allah actually told us that is why He saved him. Okay, that's round one with Yusuf, right? Round two. Round two. Oh, so, sorry. Then after that, he runs to the door. Uh, sorry, give me one second, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can get a charger in because my back is back to that. Uh, so then he runs to the door, first al bab, and he runs to the door. A miracle happens. The door opens. Remember, she locked it. But Alhamdulillah, Allah says, Allah opened the door and he made it so that her husband walked through the door and he got saved. But that's round one, round two. Round two is that the woman, she prepared a feast because the, now rumors are spreading in the city that she wanted to sleep with her slave. And that's kind of like, what? You're like an honorable, noble woman. You're like royalty and you wanted a slave, you know? So she wanted to show all the women in, in the city, <laughs> let me show you why I love this slave. Let me show you how handsome, because we know how handsome Yusuf was. So then, she, you know, prepared a banquet. She gave all of them food. She gave them knives. They were cutting the knives. So, that, you know, everyone's prepared, like helping with, the, you know, they, they were cutting the, the, the vegetables or whatever have you. So as they're cutting it, she told Yusuf, walk in. And as he walks in, when they saw him, they, they admired him. What is this man? To the point where they say, This is not even a man. This is an angel. Because of how handsome he was. And they cut through their fingers. Imagine looking at someone so handsome that you slice through your fingers and you don't even feel it. Imagine you're just chopping, 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 and you chop your finger. And you don't even realize because you're in such awe about how handsome this man is. So now they all wanted to sleep. Now it's not just one woman, it's many women. And what indicates that is that in the, in the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah, if you don't save me from their plot, Yusuf, he makes the to Allah, he says, if you don't save me from their plotting, I'm going to become from the ignorant ones. So he didn't say save me from her plot, but he used the plural, because now it's not just one woman after him, it's many women after him. Does that make sense? So, so he made dua to Allah again. That's the point I want to come to. Again, he said, he said, Rabb, 
أحب إلي مما يدعون مما يدعونني إليه. Say Allah, prison is more beloved to me than what they're calling me to. So he's saying Allah is prison. He's making that to Allah. Saying as the woman said, if you're going to sleep with me, I'm going to put you in prison. So he said, okay, if that's the case, say Allah, I choose prison. But he's he's making dua to Allah again. He said, Allah, if you don't divert from me, they're plotting. I am going to fall into what they're calling me to, and I'll become from the ignorance. So again, he's making dua. Again, he's calling to Allah. Again, he's showing Allah, I need you. So, so, so in the story of Yusuf, you know, we miss a lot. We, we hear about the door open. He ran to the door. He chose jail. He chose prison. But we don't realize that before each of those things, he called out to Allah. And that's why it's so important that we understand that if there's any vice, any addiction, whether it be drugs, whether it be masturbation, whether it be pornography, whether it be women, whether it be gambling, whatever it may be, your first stage is you must beg Allah. Does that make sense? Because we can take all the practical steps that we want for days. But at the end of the day, we need Allah to aid us, to give us the strength. And there's something that Muslims forget. We need Allah so much that, you know, have we ever wondered, why is it that in, in Al-Fatiha, when we pray our salah, we say, we say, Allah, it is you alone that we worship and you alone that we ask for help. Why did Allah place worship and help right next to each other? Because we can't worship Allah in the first place without his help in the first place. Does that make sense? And that's why at the end of every prayer, the Prophet taught us to make a dua. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, aid me to remember you and to be grateful to you and to worship you in a good way. We need Allah's aid to worship. We need Allah's aid to remember. We need Allah's aid to stay away from the sins. So I feel like, you know, in the past, I've mentioned many things. And also with Anya, when I did the podcast first, you know, we talked about practical steps of how to overcome pornography and whatnot. You know, a lot of that stuff is there, fasting, this, that. A lot, a lot of things are there. But one thing which is not there, Wallahi, is that begging Allah, that turning to Allah. Does that make sense? And also thinking good of Allah, to know that every time you turn to Allah, and even if you slip up again, because Allah understands that addictions, like Allah knows you, right? And he knows that it's not, you're not going to overcome the addiction overnight. Like it's, it's a process. So you may relapse, but to know that with Allah, you have a safe space, that every time you slip up and you come back to Allah, he's still going to be there for you. And an analogy I like to give is, you know, like, for example, imagine there's a mom and there's, and she has a child and she's teaching her child to walk. So the mom, what she does is when she sees a child can stand and take a few steps, the mom places the child at the other end of the room and she stands at the other end of the room and the, and the child wants to come to the mom because he loves the mom. So, so the child gets up and it takes a step. It takes a step or two, but what does the child do? It falls, it relapses. Does that make sense? But when the child relapses, the mom waits for the child to get back up again. And as the child makes the effort to fight against the odds to get up, the mom loves the child that much more because the child's trying to get closer to the mom. The mom sees. And to eventually the child relapses again, it falls. No problem. As long as the child gets up again, that love is still there. Does that make sense? Until eventually mom just picks up the child and, and just and just holds the child. So analogy, and of course the example of Allah is greater. We're not trying to compare Allah to the mom or anything like that. But you know, Allah sees a slave make efforts towards him. But the slave might have a relapse. Okay, don't feel shy of, as, as, in, as in, feel shy, have embarrassment, have guilt, but not to the point where you feel like you can't come to Allah. Like, no, come back to him. And he loves you that much more that he sees you trying. You're trying with the pornography. You're trying with the alcohol. You're trying with the drugs. But every time you're coming back, and, and, then, and then, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's acceptable to just relapse. No, but I'm saying if it naturally happens despite your efforts, despite your efforts, know that Allah has shut you down. Allah has not turned you away. 
that makes sense. As long as you're trying, you keep begging, you keep asking. You know, Imam Ibn Qayyim said, anyone who's, who, who's, 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 who's knocking at Allah's door, Allah's not going to reject you. Allah's not going to leave you outside. No, the, the point of the matter is you keep trying, trying, trying until eventually Allah will aid you and bring you in. So I feel like this, this, this number one coming to Allah and then having that attitude to know that coming to Allah is a safe space. Regardless of whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever vice or addiction you're struggling with, I think these two things, wallahi, they are, are, are really the essence of overcoming addictions. Allah knows best. Allah. I really appreciate the answer because I feel like a lot of people, you know, including ourselves, um, either we forget to mention, ask for Allah's help, or we just say ask for Allah's help and khalas, that's it. But we don't, I feel like, you know, especially myself, we don't understand the severity and the gravity of asking for Allah's help and how important it is. And the fact that you took all that time to answer that maybe doesn't even do it justice to the gravity of how important it is. But alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you took that approach first and foremost, and especially at this point, that approach alone, because subhanAllah, with, like, as you said, without Allah's you guys help. You crying, bro? Bro, man. Honestly, mashallah. <laughs> after that, mashallah. May Allah bless him. <laughs> you know, it's so deep. I actually realized something. Man. I realized something that we, as, like, as in, I'm actually planning to do, a, uh, we have this pod, uh, show on my YouTube channel for Chow Mabai. So I'm actually planning to record this, um, I think, Tuesday. And I was just speaking to the brothers. The topic is that we have misunderstood Allah. That we've actually misunderstood Allah. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? That like, we, as a community, as a people, a slave who misunderstood our Lord. Like, it's true. Like, you know, there's two extremes. There's the people who, who like, always bang on about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without, without, without the fear. And there's those that focus on the fear without the mercy. And you need both of them, but both of those two things, there's a third thing as well, which is in the middle, which is love. I love Allah. Because Imam Ibn Qayyim said that, you know, to get to Allah, you need to be like a bird. And a bird, in order to fly, it has two wings and it has a head. One wing is hope, the other wing is fear. Hope and fear balance, keep you balanced. If you only have one wing, you're going to fall, right? If you have too much hope, you're going to sin and think, you're going to be like the Christian. We can do whatever we want. Jesus died for our sins. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Or if, you're, or, 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 or if there's too much fear, you're going you're, you're to be like the Jews. Too much fear. Does that make sense? And they became extreme on some issues. So you need to have the balance of hope and fear and the head because again the things are not enough to make you fly, right? You need to have a brain in the head. So the head of the bird is love. We don't know about Allah enough to love him, to know him, to know who he is. And like, like you know, there's a hadith which is, you know, where the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that I am how my slave thinks of me. If he thinks good of me, then good. And if he thinks bad of me, then, then there's bad for me. You know, and, and then I heard Sheikh Abdul Zakir Badr explain this in such a profound way. He said, like, so you know, every time you say Astaghfirullah, you know, every time you say Allah, I, I, I ask you to forgive me, I seek your forgiveness. He said, at that time, the slave should have had good assumption of Allah. Because Allah, Allah said, I am as my slave thinks of me. So then at the time of asking Allah to forgive me, I need to think of Allah as one who right now is going to forgive my every sin, big and small, public and private. 
No, no matter, you know, how many of them there are, I need to think right now at this minute, in my heart, I need to feel and believe that Allah is going to literally forgive every, one time I say, Astaghfirullah, I need to say such sincerity, with such certainty and such good assumption of Allah, that Allah, you're going to literally wipe my slate clean after this one word I'm going to say. But we don't. You know why? We're like, ah, oh, he's not really going to forgive that. We don't really think good of Allah. And that's because we don't know him. I don't know Allah. That is, there's a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah, uh, uh, Allah said, wadud. Allah said he's forgiving and he's loving. Why did Allah place these two names? Because Al-Ghafur and Wadud are two of Allah's names. Why did he place these two names together? It's not superfluous. He doesn't do it for no reason. It's not just he just chose and put words together, uh, names together. He puts these names together for a reason. So Allah mentioned he's forgiven and loving. And the reason why the scholars say he did it, the secret in that is because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives you, you may think, okay, Allah, you forgave me, but you don't love me. Because human beings, when we, when we violate human beings and we oppress humans, when we seek their forgiveness, they may forgive us, but things may never go back to how they were. They may not love you anymore, right? It may be like, okay, look, it's cool, I forgive you. But we have to be civil now. We're not really like that anymore. So Allah wanted to show the slave that despite the murder, despite the fornication, despite the disbelief, despite the idol worship, despite all they were doing, you did it 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, when you seek my forgiveness and I forgive you, so you know I'm loving as well, meaning I love you again as well. As, it never, it's as if it never happened. I love you now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, think about that. That's Allah. Do you know what I'm saying? And then, of course, you don't want to, you, you know, but then the verses of fear are there as well, just so, you know, you, you, you don't take advantage of Allah's love and his mercy. You know, at, this, at the same time, you can't play Allah, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But that's the, we, we, miss, we don't know who Allah is. We misunderstood Allah. I really feel like this is the problem of our community, Allah. And I wish the dua could speak about Allah more than politics. And I wish that we'd speak about Allah and his greatness more than all of these things. You know what I'm saying? But imagine right now, we're doing this podcast. I know that there's going to be some guy who follows a different sect that's going to cut up some of these things that I've said about describing Allah and his characteristics and is going to start making a video saying, look at him describing Allah with his characteristics. And it's like, now, after I do this podcast with you, I'm getting ready for the response to the confusion that people are going to throw. It's like, bro, why are you trying to confuse people about Allah? Just leave us alone. But you're going to see that the problem comes from... From there, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but if you would just let us just talk about the deen, talk about Allah, talk about the people, a lot of khair will come. This is what people need. All right, brother. So it is about that time. I have one last question to wrap this all up because you, yeah. what you said speaks magnitude. Because a lot of people they might be upset about this, but it's like as a revert, I'm seeing this very clearly that we are taught to learn about the deen. We were taught to learn about the word of Allah, the hadith and all this stuff. It's all beautiful, but we're not really taught how to know Allah. So like in in your words, how would someone start to go about doing this to get closer to their creator Mm -hmm. and actually learn about Allah? That's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, it comes down to seeking knowledge. I mean, look, we study science in school. Science is study of the natural world and its processes, right? And because we live in the natural world, uh, you know, the governments and the education systems for, for it to be so important that we're learning about it from first grade. 
you know, we learn about the solar system and the, this and that and the water cycle. We learn about the world in which we exist because it's important to us. Now, if we, if we learn about things that are important to us, then obviously that which, that which is more important takes more priority to learn, to go through a system of education, a process of education, to go through a curriculum to learn, to study. Um, and, and, and the creator of the, of the world is obviously more important than the world. Studying the creator of the world is more important than studying the world that he created. Does that make sense? Um, so the same way, if I'm going to take out time to go through a process of formal education to learn about the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, chemistry, biology, why am I not going to take out the time to go through a curriculum to study, to study Allah and his messenger, so and, and, and scholars for the last 1400 years have been, have lined out curriculums for this. There's books that are to be studied. For example, the first thing that, that we need to study is, is la ilaha illallah. So, so even before we study Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names and everything, we need to study Allah's greatest right, which is to worship him alone. That's what makes it different to everyone else. Then the next thing to learn about Allah is the thing that he does, names, attributes, characteristics. You see, there are books for this. For example, there's a book called Kitab Tawheed. There's a book called Al-Aqid, Al-Wasafiyah. There's, there's things like that. I have, I have, I have a series that I started on my channel. And because of COVID, I stopped it because of the masajid being locked down. It's about the names of Allah. I always send people to watch that series. You know, if you want to start getting to know Allah, like we go through Allah's names. You know what I'm saying? So go through that. I have another series called uh, A Study of the Shahada, which is, uh, you know, a study of La ilaha illallah, a study of Tawheed, a study of how to worship, like what it means to worship Allah alone. And, you know, and the conditions of La ilaha illallah, for example, love. People don't know that one of the conditions of La ilaha illallah is love. They don't know the condition of lying there is certainty. They don't know the condition of lying there is submission and knowledge. So, so those two, maybe I can send you the link and you guys can feel comfortable. You can put it in the description yeah, people below. We'll but, but even that is an introduction. People need to pursue a process of formal education. We have that's why I actually set up an institute called Knowledge College, where we actually teach people this stuff. They sign up. It's a five-year program, but we tell them, look, even if you can't commit to five years, just commit to the first year. It's just four hours a week. Four hours a week to 38 weeks in age. Just commit to at least the first year because in the first year, we give you the absolute necessary things that you need to learn about your religion. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's why like my dad is so, is so like, you know, I'm not just going for the kids on the streets. I know that when I take them off the streets with the push of Eliza Rajan and it's him that takes them off and I'm using these. I now need to have an institute to be able to educate them. So it's kind of like, it, there's a whole process. You know, that's why we even set up like, you know, all these other projects because you know, in the community, there's so many different buyers and now you've got marriage too. So we set up Sunnah Match, because, which is a matchmaking service, because now you're studying a deal and you come off the streets, you want to get married, but you're struggling. So it's, it's so, there's so much to do, does that make sense? So you have to find which part of the journey that you're on. And if you have that journey, we got to, I need to stop studying my deal now. Knowledge code, but I'm saying, forget knowledge code. This is not me trying to promote it or anything like that with the other data. The point that I'm trying to get across is that you need to take a process of education, of, of, of Islamic studies, even if it's part-time, if it's basic. Because otherwise, you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to get it. You're, you're not, you're not going to get it. You know what I'm saying? Man. Man. That's, listen. I think at some point we're going to have to have a part two. <laughs> of course, bro. There was so yeah. much, there was so much that I wanted to talk about, but man, I feel like we could go on all day. Yeah. Whenever you guys are ready, man. Well, I, 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 I really like you guys, man. MashaAllah. 
Yeah, we like you too, bro. We like you too. I really like the vibe. I actually wanted to speak to uh, Fayed, man, about some health and fitness tips. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually thinking. Bro. I was actually thinking. (laughs) You know where to find me, bro. Yeah, 100%. I might need to. I might need to, bro. We need to get in shape, bro. (laughs) Bro, whenever we come to the UK, we know know we got to link up. Oh, 100%, bro. 100%. I'm waiting. You know, over this uh, lockdown, I've spoken to many brothers across the pond. So I'm waiting to see, you know, I'm saying my American people, my Canadian people. Uh, inshallah, hopefully we can, we can do something. You're going to be our personal guest in the UK, inshallah. 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 All right, brother. Well, All right, guys. It, if you made it, it this been... far. Okay, yeah, go on. Like, let's all do it at the same time. Come on, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> gotta, gotta plug in the hashtag, bro. If you guys made it this far, hashtag Dawa Man Returns. And look forward to part two, inshallah, in the future. Inshallah. Inshallah. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for that. Yes, yes. The pleasure was all ours. Um, amazing episode, man. Allah bless you immensely. Any final words from you guys? Guys, if you if you made it this far, bro, don't 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 just like we're not telling you we want you to like your like our video, bro. Just because we need you to like our video, bro. It's these types of videos that like people need to watch, and, and we need to hit the algorithm. So like the video, comment, share it down below. And yeah, Barakallah Fiq to Brother Imran for making the time, bro. Barakallah With that being said, everybody watching, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum assalamu alaykum.